Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, a new podcast series that brings Mintel firmly into a world of modern content consumption. With this series, we will bring together Mintel's brightest minds to discuss some of the trendy, foodie, beauty, and frankly, anything else in terms of topics that cross our minds every day. I'm Andrew Davidson, SVP and Chief Insights Officer for Mintel Compare Media, based in New York. And today, we're going to be talking about gender-based marketing and exploring the question, is gender-based marketing dead? Now, I'm very excited because here to talk about this topic with me today, I have Mintel's Marcia Mogolonski uh, in Ithaca, New York. It's about four hours from where I am here in uh, New York City. Got Johnny Forsyth in London, and we have Alex Milanazzo in Chicago. Welcome to the pod. Hi. Hi. Happy to be here. Thank you all. Well, before we get started, but if you could please introduce yourselves, if you could just say your name, title, how long you've been at Mintel, and how long have you been tracking your industry? Um, I'll start that off, Andrew. I'm Marcia Mogolonski. I'm the Director of Insight for Mintel Food and Drink. I've been with Mintel for hmm, 20 years, and I've been tracking my industry, which is basically food and drink with a focus on confectionery and snacks for about 30 years. And I'll go next. So my name is Johnny Forsyth. I'm based here in London, and I have been looking after the alcohol and coffee categories uh, for the past seven years. I've been at Mintel for a decade, um, so I'm nowhere near Marcia's um, <laughs> level of um, of heritage. Um, but you know, I'm, I it's it's something that you know, gender neutral marketing is, is something that I'm just seeing more and more in my in my categories. And I'm Alex Melanazzo. I'm a trends analyst in the Chicago office, and so I cover North America, more specifically the United States and Canada. I've been at Mintel for about nine months, so that's um, <laughs> not quite as long as everyone else. Um, 20 years, nine months. Yes, yeah, we've got exactly. the, uh, um, and so I am not sector specific. Um, I just look at Mintel's 76 global consumer trends and how broader um, consumer behavior fits into those. And so I like to say that I've been um, monitoring that for all of my 23 years of life and bringing my experience into that. Don't give away your age. Well, I think we've, we've got the, uh, I think we've got the ideal roster to talk about this topic. We've got some really deep uh, experience and some interesting and some diverse perspectives to have um, a great uh, little conversation. So, uh, so to get, to, to get started and to really sort of dig into this, question um i i read the other day that supermarket in the uk co-op um is introducing a gender neutral gingerbread person and i know it's i heard it's caused a a, a bit of a a stir um back in my home country back in the uk i was also i I wanted to share this with the with the with the group i i i started reading this um a book uh called this is marketing from seth godin and it's just recently published but i was just started reading it and i was struck by this sentence uh by uh mr godin and he says begin by choosing people based on what they dream of, believe and want, not based on what they look like. In other words, use psychographics instead of demographics. So is gender-based marketing dead? In a word, yes. 
So <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up. Firstly, yeah, for me, um, if we look at younger consumers and, you know, look a lot at data around younger consumers, they are very inclusive. And as far as I can see, they don't really like to be boxed by um, what they consider to be old fashioned, outdated stereotypes. So um, it seems to me that they look at, at gender as something very superficial. Um, so, um, you know, if a brand differentiates people by, um, by, by, by gender, you know, they don't see it as, as a, a deep or authentic brand. And so I'm very much inclined to agree with, um, with Mr. Godin um, that actually, you know, brands should look and focus on deeper, um, more authentic things like, um, like, like values that, that, you know, appeal to, to anyone regardless of, of their demographic. Um, and actually, um, as I said before, I, I focus a lot on the alcohol industry and i've been having a look at, at which brands do this well and, and which don't and you know you look at a, a brand like smirnoff vodka their, their brand is about inclusivity it's it's not you know about about women it's about inclusivity but one aspect of that is that they support um women's rights so they're trying to get more um women djs into into the music industry um and that feels to me like a a very good um support of, a, of an authentic deeper value that that's beyond just gender um but actually does encompass um so, so some kind of gender aspects to it well um yeah I, I agree with you but i think that we have to say it's a slow death, in part because um, some consumers still think this kind of stereotyping is permissible, but it has to come from within. Um, for it to be permissible, they have to self-identify. So, for example, a bunch, many, many women think it's fine to call their cohorts the girls. Come on, girls, let's go. But they don't feel it is appropriate for men to address them in that manner. So brands are treading a narrow line by taking such a gendered stand. There's no way they can avoid alienating someone. In fact, there are so many positive messages they could give that a specific food makes you feel strong and that you is you. It's not you women or you men. Or that a specific drink has a low calorie count. Again, beneficial to all calorie watchers, regardless of gender. Yeah, yeah, I really agree with um, what both of you are saying. Johnny talking about consumers shopping more with their values and Marcia leaning into kind of like that efficacy standpoint about a product. And I think that part is really where a lot of product, effective product marketing is going, especially when we look at very successful DTC brands. Um, they're really focusing on why the product specifically is better than its competitors. And so consumers are really interested in um, what a product is and why it works and how it works and not necessarily like what Johnny was saying more superficial aspects um, like gendered marketing and unless they're explicitly tied to biological indicators then then the marketing isn't really landing you know it's it's wasted spend and worst case scenario you're going to be turning people away from the brand um, and this is really happening across sectors. So as we know that like some sectors have deeper ties than others to gendered marketing, um, but we're seeing cues from even beauty and personal care, which at times seems to be really reliant on um, that gendered marketing spend. They're going more towards uh, effective inclusivity, whether it was CoverGirl having their first cover boy, which was in 2016, I believe, um, Fenty Beauty having 
having more shades of foundation than any other um, that, that's been really pushing brands toward diversity or even NGS beauty and NGS standing for non-gender specific um, is being very, you know, forthcoming with what that branding is and what the intention behind um, those products are. That's, that's interesting because uh, it's obviously this is a, a trend sort of based around sort of changes and shifts and changes in culture. Um, so, I mean, so let's talk a little bit about just sort of take it back a level and sort of talk about that, the term gender, you know, overall. I mean, how, how has that evolved um, and what is changing? What's shifting these days? Yeah, it, well, it, it differs across regions, um, you know, not surprisingly. And so Mintel has a few global consumer trends to speak to this sort of trend specifically. Um, I would say the two key ones would be unfairer sex, which focuses more on the gender gap um, and the traditional gender binary. And so that we see a lot of brands and companies taking a stance about the gender pay gap um, with women being paid less than men in the world workplace and issues of that sort and so kind of like doing corrections so to speak um in the pursuit of equality and then um not uh, not necessarily at the other end but the next generation is a trend that speaks specifically to how younger consumers um notably generation z and young millennials are specifically departing from socialized gender norms and so we see a lot of this transformation happening especially in north america um emea and lar with several brand examples doing a lot of different things and and Pew Research Center data shows that nearly 60% of consumers age 13 to 21, for them, those are members of Generation Z, that's how Pew Research classifies them, um, believe that believe forms that ask about gender, you know, to designate um, your gender should have options beyond man or woman. Um, male or female. And we're seeing this adopted in um, broader landscapes such as airlines allowing you um, to have a non-traditional binary um, gender identity and things of that sort. And then 35% um, of UK consumers um, say that they would prefer to buy gender neutral children's wear. Um, and I think the key word to focus on there is prefer. And so we're not necessarily talking about consumers, you know, are they open to gender neutral clothing obviously that's there but over a third of uk consumers are saying that they prefer um to buy gender neutral children's wear and 34 percent of uk male consumers well we usually focus on um the woman consumer being pushing um gender equality 34 percent of uk male consumers agree that brands that stereotype genders should be boycotted and so we're seeing a lot of going back to what johnny was talking about values um we're seeing these values really come into play and sometimes class with what brands are doing and that can really be detrimental um, but as I said I'm speaking mostly to North America and EMEA in those senses um, in the APAC region especially in um, northern Asia there's still a lot of traditional um, gender roles and norms you know women as caregivers uh, men being homeowners before they propose to a woman um, but even younger consumers there and brands are shaking things up. They're pushing brands to have more diverse advertising. I know Unilever was a big um, pusher of brands in Thailand and China to be more diverse in their advertising. Um, and then we're seeing things pop up such as bars for women um, and things in, in an empowering sense. Um, and so 
we see a lot of conversation on social media in those regions and it's it's uh taking a little bit longer to affect um the society at large uh, alex where are you where are you seeing into you you talk about these as global trends where where do you where do you see uh, you know which regions are you saying are sort of more advanced i i guess when it comes to this yeah i mean it it kind of that's also region specific um, because you have to take a lot of cultural context um, into account in those senses. And so, like in the U.S., we're seeing obviously a huge issue being you know paid parental leave um, or like how I mentioned like non-gender specific beauty things of like that sort um, where consumers are specifically like urging brands um, to do more, to be more, um, and to focus more on the product's efficacy. And that's something that's afforded by um, the American markets. Um, and the way that they function is that brands um, inherently kind of have to respond um, to consumer demands um, in order to be successful. Whereas maybe in like China where that is a little bit different and where the economy and um, consumer feedback functions a little bit differently. They also just sector their demographics differently. Um, their economy specifically is in a growth phase um, as we can see from you know like the news and so they're experiencing a lot of social and economic uh, disruption which is making their landscape look a little bit uh, more different. So for example, in China, snacking on sweet stuff um, was generally seen as a more like feminine activity, so to speak, and those types of brands would market more towards women and femininity. But our data shows that men are equally as likely um, to appreciate those types of snacks and a popular snack being bubble tea over there um, is increasingly popular to be um, consumed by everyone. And so it's like little nuances like that that are signaling um, a cultural shift there and probably what we're going to see later across sectors as where I would say in EMEA and in North America, it's much more explicit. It's much more about, you know, calling out a brand for what they're doing, demanding that they improve, um, demanding structural improvement, creating your own brand that does it a better way, that type of thing. So, so it's, it's truly, it's cross-sector, it's cross-region. I mean, this is a real, you know, we're seeing real societal shifts, you know, across and, and around the globe. Um, I mean, it's fascinating, fascinating. I, and Marcia, you recently wrote a really interesting piece on, on gender neutrality as it associated and relates to food. And I know that in that piece, you referred to Coca-Cola and held that particular, their Super Bowl campaign up as something that was sort of right. on the cutting edge of this. Yeah, it's Coke has always been um, a brand for the people. I mean, cast your well, you guys can't cast your mind back because you're not as old as I am, but I cast my mind back to when Coke was always, we'd like to teach the world to sing. It was always the world. It was everybody. They were always trying to be very inclusive. But Coke and Diet Coke seem to have a parting of the ways in Diet Coke because of its diet positioning. Um, found a, a bigger um, audience with women or it saw its position as reaching out to women who were always perpetually on a diet in the 60s. All we did was diet. Um, 
So they've rebrought, rebranded Diet Coke as more gender neutral and diverse. That's what their company, the company hands out say. They've launched new flavors. They launched new packaging. And it's picked up on this non-gender specific theme in its Super Bowl ad last year when it said there's a Coke for he and a Coke for she and for her and for me and for them. They wanted everyone to feel part of the brand again. A really good example of, um, of uh, I just don't understand why um, Coke would just go down that route of, you know, alienating half or more than half of their audience. Because if we look at the moment, one of the big trends in alcohol is, is pink gin. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if we look at the data, I'm sure that more women drink pink gin than men. But I also think a lot of men really like pink gin. So, you know, if you were a brand and, and you'd launch your pink gin and you, you were only going after aggressively, um, you know, that, that female population, that would seem like a real blind alley to me. And I think brands are wising up to that a bit more. You know, uh, it, there's always going to be gender differences in terms of uh, specific products that, that on specific colors that, that maybe different genders like. Um, but why kind of force that point? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I didn't mean to say that Coke had gone down that road. I think Coke drifted into that role be- road because of the association of Diet Coke and women. Since um, at least in the olden days, women were more likely to be a customer of diet for Diet Coke than men were. So advertising tended to skew towards women. And now they've tried to bring it back into making it for everybody. Diet Coke is for everybody. Yeah, because for a while there, they really doubled down on the whole female thing, didn't they? They had the, the, the famous um, Diet Coke break where right. all the, the women would kind of meet up to, right. to ogle a, um, <laughs> uh, you know, an attractive male. So, yeah, so at some point they've kind of realized and, and, and kind of corrected the ship. Well, the other thing they did was they introduced new flavors. And to market the new flavors, they arranged the packaging in new colors. So it's not just the red iconic red label we're used to seeing or the white label with red type, the now taller, skinnier, um, more slender bottles, uh, cans, I should say, come in four or five different flavors and the colors that they come in form a rainbow when you line them all up, which is a nod to non-gender specific and in fact, much more inclusive marketing by arranging the colors of the new products in a rainbow that is a, a tip of the hat to the fact that some people might not be uh, specifically male or specifically female, but see themselves on a horizon that's much different. Did it, did it work? Did you, do we think the campaign worked? I think the, the Super Bowl ad was successful. Um, I don't have any numbers on how successful the campaign has been. I don't know if you do, Johnny. I don't follow soft drinks that much, so. but I haven't seen anything besides the ad, which got a lot of play, a lot of airtime. A lot of uh, positive, a lot of positive press. Yeah. So, what do you, what do you, what do you, um, what do you guys say to those who, you, you know, who might, you know, see Celine Dion launching a, a brand of gender neutral clothing, or hear about the the gender neutral gingerbread person, and just think, well, you know, this is political correctness has gone too far. You know, this is all, this is all, you know, reached a, an extreme. What do you say to that? Well, how do you counter that? Well. I don't think it's politics, honestly. I don't think political correctness is the way to look at it. I think this is everyone is everyone who didn't have a voice before is getting a chance to say what's on their minds. And whether that means you're a female who's tired of having um, products marketed directly to you that don't appeal to you, you're tired of seeing that you have to be skinny to be successful, or if it's a male who's tired of seeing he has to have perfect pecs to be successful, or if you're neither male nor female and you get very tired of where am I in this whole horizon? It's, it's time to change. 
Mm-hmm. I would I would agree. It's really social media has afforded um, a lot of things in that sense. And our global consumer trends serving the underserved, which talks about like how Marcy was talking about giving people a more amplified voice than they may have had before. And on display, which talks about which speaks more to when consumers, you know, are calling out brands for what they're doing. It's I would say it's less like Marcy was saying, less about politics and more about agency. Um, consumers just have the ability now to, you know, express what they want in multiple different forums um, and really see uh, the fruits of that labor, so to speak. So you, are you sort of saying that the media landscape is a big driver of this? Yeah, yeah, I think it has empowered people to really express how they feel um, in one sense because it's easier you know it's really easy to tweet something or post on Facebook but it's also a lot easier to organize Um, you know social media breaks a lot of physical like geographic barriers and so people can really like organize into a group behind something. There's, there's been an interesting reaction, actually, to the, um, or there was an interesting reaction to the whole Gillette um, Men Can Do Better campaign. And um, you had, um, I don't know how many American listeners know who Piers Morgan is, actually quite a lot. I used to work there, didn't he? But yes. Piers Morgan yes, tweeted he did. on CNN for a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yes. he's come back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Piers Morgan tweeted, you know, I've been a Gillette. Um, consume all my life and, and you know this is PC rubbish and you know I'm really questioning whether I want to be a consumer anymore but you know I think for a brand you know he's not the kind of target audience that you want you know the brands are, are you know primarily looking at, at the new younger generation um, so that the, there are kind of an element of you know um, older probably white males who you know maybe do see this as PC but but I think the majority of the younger generation don't yeah yeah, yeah. I agree. I think that, and I, I think it's a surprise. I would, I would bet judging f- as, as an older person, I, as who speaks to older white males, um, I would, I would bet that the number of older white males who are actually finding this to be PC nonsense is a lot smaller than you think. I think that a lot of people are just tired of being told. I mean, it's, you know, if you think back, there used to be products like Hungry Man, and we used to know that uh, real men don't eat quiche and all those sort of things. Um, yes. Real men do eat quiche, and I they wear quiche. pink, and they do whatever they want. And quiche is so a fantastic I, and underrated meal. I think, I think that they're. Um, I think that regardless of your age, your race. Um, I think that a lot of people are just tired of being told that because they're X, they are supposed to think Y. And you know, it's not just women either. Um, there's um, there's been a lot of um, data in the, in the UK market for advertising about men being fed up of um, being positioned as these hapless characters in adverts. So I think <laughs> you mean although- they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so I think, you know, although, although I think women have definitely got the worst of the, the gender marketing, it's a wider issue. I think people don't yes. like being put into boxes right. um, that, that really bear no re- relation to their, their everyday lives and, and just seem very tired and very inauthentic. 
Yeah. And they have to keep justifying, which must be exhausting. I know it's exhausting for women to keep justifying. It must be exhausting for men as well. I, I'm thinking of the whole move towards veganism and how real men, they might eat quiche, but they're not supposed to be vegan. And there's a lot of effort being made to prove that you can still be quote unquote manly and be vegan and be healthy and take care of yourself, which is what you really want to do. And um, I'm thinking of things like the Thug Cookbook. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's... I have it. I have Thug Kitchen. I love Thug Kitchen. It's one of my favorite cookbooks, but uh, the, the, the subtitle is Eat Like You Give Up. Well, you can fill in the word. It starts with F, but I'm not going to say that on, on a podcast. And it's written with all the dirty words you would love to use that grown-ups like me don't use. It's got fantastic recipes, and the, the basic um, underlying thought is that it doesn't matter who you are. If you want to be healthy, you've got to make an effort to be healthy. And that's why I'm sort of turning all this to, to focus on benefits or results of a product, not on um, gender. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, so it's avoiding these stereotypes that have been around for years and going back to really what, you know, where Johnny, you were starting talking about the values and we talked about what Godin was saying. We talked about focusing on what people really want, what their dreams are, what they aspire to be rather than their, actual demographic profile yeah. um <clears throat> so i mean for, for brands then i mean we think about this for brands you know it's clearly a very challenging thing to navigate perhaps um you know it's so hard to get it right andrew you know, yeah there are so few brands that that get it right um it, it, the, the, you're just walking such a fine line yeah yeah and I, was ch- I was chatting with my wife about this Lydia, the other day. We were talking about razors, you know, and she was like, well, I, you know, you know, if you go if a supermarket, if it's a pink razor, it's for, for women. If it's a, you know, if it's a blue razor, it's for, it's for men. If it's a green razor, whoa, I'm not sure what, what that means. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've, you know, they're embedded, aren't they? Embedded. And that's why it's, I think it's such a difficult uh, path to navigate. Sorry, because so, you're, so, you're talking about razors, I've got to segue into talking about uh, Gillette again. Oh, because, yes. Um, you know, talked about how um gillette you know are now positioning themselves as um pro-female all about female empowerment you know getting behind the me too movement but actually if you look at gillette they still charge more for female raises than male um, and i think <laughs> what that says is that you know don't be tokenistic and don't not live your values because you can't suddenly jump on that bandwagon um and then use a really cynical pricing ploy. Right. You're right. Um, that, that just doesn't work and I think consumers see through that and I think it was Alex who was talking at the um, I can't remember whether it was um, earlier on or, or offline um, about how consumers have got so much more information at their fingertips now mm-hmm. and um, you know they're, they're going to see through that they're going to kind of join the dots yeah you've got to be authentic you've got to be true exactly um, so yeah so, how, so is that it then is that I mean how do brands get the, the message right is it down to that authenticity what, what, what is it they can do I think part of the issue, again, is what you have to do is aim, aim to make a product that appeals or results in a positive benefit or gives you a positive result. Um, don't say that this cereal is for women because it is going to make you skinny, which is what um, Special K had started out in its, in its genesis. When Special K first came on the market, it was a diet brand. It was positioned very beginning from the diet brand. And if you go and do some archaeological research on the Special K brand, which I love to do, you can find the first products were almost always women. And they pretty much stayed women. You'd see some men on the product packaging, but it suddenly became women, women, women. And they went into marketing things like a drop a 
dress size in two weeks, which, and they had a tape measure on the package. How directly could you be aimed at women by showing a tape measure address and say, this could be yours? When that didn't work and they came back, they, they actually have really done a good job in positioning themselves now as a wellness brand. Cereal as a wellness brand. You eat it for fiber, you eat it for protein, you eat it f to feel good, you feel, um, start your day on the right foot. And that's how you do it. You don't depend only on one gender or one sex, depending on what you want to say. Um, you, d you find a, a, com a commonality that is uh, a benefit. Yeah, it, it's really focusing on the product, like you're saying, and the story that is tied directly to that product um, rather than projecting a narrative upon it um, or adding layers of superficiality onto that. Um, it's really about focusing on what that product can literally do um, for the consumer. And unless the brand or the sector itself has something that the brand needs to say, um, you know, such as Gillette's A Better Man campaign um, with it being involved um, in a product category that has a lot of those uh, traditional gender stereotypes associated with it. Um, unless that is necessarily the case, you know, taking a stand can sometimes um, not be worth it for the brand, especially if consumers think that you're just trying to profit off of um, a societal inequity. And so in this sense, I always say that being smart is not a risk. Um, a lot of like the media coverage of campaigns such as Dillette's A Better Man campaign um, or even Nike's Colin Kaepernick campaign um, a lot of the coverage was about how, what a massive risk that was for the brand. And while in a sense, yeah, you know, really any marketing has a level of risk to it. Um, those brands are smart. They know what they're doing. They know who they're targeting and looking at the payoff from that, you know, money talks like consumers responded the consumers that were being targeted by those campaigns responded very positively to them. Yeah, to, to me, a really good example of how risky it is to go down this gender route and why I think that gender marketing, gender neutral marketing or gender marketing is dead is that uh, Johnny Walker recently did a limited edition launch called Jane Walker. Now this, this was really, you know, uh, I think it was quite a sincere attempt to, um, to get behind the, the, the female empowerment cause. Um, it was done on um, women's um, international international women's day um, it was you know it turned the iconic man on the bottle into into a woman it, it obviously changed the name um, it was it was you know really a quite a quite sincere attempt which which backfired you know it came across as pretentious uh, sorry not pretentious it came across as patronizing um, and um, you know that, that, again I think that, that that's why you've just got to be so careful about going into this space if you're if you're a brand because there's just so many ways you could you could get the, the tone wrong brilliant I, we're almost out of time final word um well I would think that I we circle back again, especially for food, to say instead of focusing on the gender and uh, focusing on gender and the male-female divide, um, look for good food for all. Mintel, ha Mintel Food and Drinks, um, one of its our trends from last year was self-fulfilling practices. And it said that people are focusing on self-care. They're overwhelmed. They're trying to dedicate time to themselves. And this is not a gender-specific thing. This is a person-specific thing. So um, find 
a way that consumers, regardless of gender, can take advantage of the benefits you bring. It's not hungry men or skinny girls. It's um, food that is healthy and provides benefits for all of our personal goals. And that's not gender related. It's life related. Alex, Johnny, anything to add to that? I think it's... uh... I I would say if you're thinking about gender, think again, move on. I just always say, let let the consumer speak to themselves, you know, um, if, you know, it, it's not always best to maybe trust your instinct of, oh, this is how it's always worked um, in the industry, you know, really look at, and we have a lot of data on this, but really look at what consumers are saying and what they're wanting. And if, you know, for example, millennial consumers are saying that brands don't know how to talk to them, well, then there's truth with that. Then brands don't know how to talk to them. And so something has to change. Excellent. On that note, uh, I'd like to... Uh, thank everybody for listening. I'd like to say a special thank you to Marcia Mogolonski, Johnny Forsyth, and Alex Milanazzo. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you, as I say, to listening and hope to see you on the little conversation next time around. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.